0: Welcome to Calavista Conversations. If you're responsible for delivering software on time and on budget, or at least wish someone were, then this podcast might be for you. Some two-thirds of software projects don't deliver as promised. If you want to be in the successful minority, if you believe that you studied computer science and not computer arts, then join us as we talk about best practices and how people have tuned their development processes for success. And maybe we'll take a look at some total failures and try to understand how they went wrong, and hopefully we can all avoid falling into that basket of the two-thirds majority. So welcome, and now here's your host, Sloan Foster.
1: Hello, and welcome to Calavista Conversations. Today we have Charlie Begoin, founder and CEO of Valkyrie. Charlie's the founder and CEO of Valkyrie, an Austin-based applied science company. Valkyrie is the fusion of applied science and strategy consulting. They transform information into intelligence and intelligence into initiative. They formed to address the need across industries to solve complex problems with a specialized approach. Valkyrie has honed that approach for many clients with impactful, innovative outcomes. They have developed models for financial firms, adaptive designs for user experiences, and recommendation engines for health services. Simply put, they help um, clients make the right decisions and craft the right initiatives and answer the right questions through applied science. Prior to founding Valkyrie, Charlie served as Principal Director of Data Science at Frog, Director of Data Science at Rosetta Stone, VP of R&D at a cybersecurity firm, a Research Physicist at the DOE and NNSA, and as a Research Astrophysicist for NASA. He has a real passion for languages and speaks French, German, Italian, as well as a little Russian, Farsi, and Arabic. Thank you, Charlie, for joining us today. Thanks for having me today, Salon. To start, let's talk about what the three ROIs or three ROIs someone can get from AI just uh, high level, and then we can
2: dig a little deeper. Sure. Yeah, we, <clears throat> we understand the, the market to really need the optimization of three different things. The way we understand people and the way people interact with other people and products. The way we understand products and the way those products can be optimized. Um, one of the fundamental beliefs of Valkyrie is the fact that we believe that for the longest time, for eons, products um, have been set in their ways and people have had to adapt to use products. We think that we're now ushering in a new era where people don't have to change, but the products do. So products are now adapting to people as opposed to people adapting to products. And and the third ROI, if you will, is making optimizations of processes, looking at inefficiencies in the way we do work and letting machines take over for the the tedium um, that's usually very expensive for clients. So
1: in regards to that, you talk about um, optimizing processes. Do you envision that AI, I know there's been some concern about doom and gloom that AI will replace replace humans, but you in fact believe that humans are very much a part of the process and mm-hmm. AI has to involve a human
2: element at some level. Uh, we don't really fall into, into the Stephen Hawking's, Elon Musk group of doom and gloom for AI. Um, we're we're much more aligned with with um, um, individuals on the other side of that spectrum,
1: um, helping them <laughs> with the data that they need to solve problems. Precisely. Solve problems.
2: Yeah, it's an integrated solution. So humans adjusting the model either passively or actively, and those models adapting to the preferences of those users. And I think truthfully, the people who have the most to risk are not necessarily the people who are doing quote-unquote, menial jobs or blue-collar workers, but more likely the semi-skilled labor that's extremely tedious and redundant. Um, So I'm actually less worried about semi-truck drivers and more worried about paralegals, as an example.
1: And the... The truck drivers, because uh, between autonomous vehicles and AI, that could very well take them out of a, a position to have a job versus paralegal, they're always and legal there'll always be a need for that human analysis. It's
2: yes, is that a lot of the tedious work that uh, attorneys are expected to do is currently getting passed to paralegals. But what happens when that tedious work can be handled by a machine? So we see a couple of examples of that, right? Uh, Lock, Rocket Lawyer or Legal Zoom are automating a lot of the processes that typically have had to requ- have required a large amount of tedious work by a semi school laborer. Um, the semi-truck drivers will be fine. It'll be a long time before we have a truly autonomous vehicle, and even then, they'll probably be required to be in the in the seat, which means they now have twelve hours of their day that they can dedicate to customer support services or who knows, taking calls that, while they're in the truck. Precisely.
1: Uh, Excited to talk about the field of applied science. When you and I first met, we kind of discussed a little bit about the difference between AI and applied science. Mm -hmm. Nockery calls it applied science. So let's talk about the differences between those
2: two. Yeah, you bet. Uh, So let's differentiate, I guess, between AI and applied science. Um, Applied science is the application of cutting-edge research and putting uh, good use to that that research uh, to industry. So identifying the need... Uh, within different markets and different verticals, and then taking what's state-of-the-art in a laboratory and making that applicable uh, to those domains. And it's a a fairly large umbrella. Um, One of the the, uh, arms of that umbrella, if you will, is artificial intelligence. Academics and industry professionals actually talk about AI in different ways, At Valkyrie, we do a lot of R&D around AI, but that R&D is actually not super useful today to industry. Um, So artificial intelligence, in its most uh, esoteric academic definition, is really the the capability of bringing sentient thought to machines that do not innately have it. Um, There are very, very few firms that are truly focused on AI, Uh, We are one of them, um, but we we are very cognizant of the fact that cognition, if you pardon the alliteration, is not quite yet ready for market. So we're investing in R&D, even though that's outside of the application. Um, AI, the way the industry refers to it, is really the extraction of context from information that does not explicitly state it, and then turning that context into actionable uh, deliveries. So uh, whether it's making predictions about whether or not people are going to repay their loans and then approving them or uh, rejecting them, uh, or if it's identifying the best way to optimize a routing uh, or routing a call uh, or a communication via an IP network. Those are applications that fall under the quote-unquote AI umbrella, but they they do not necessarily advance the cause of of what we call the sentient general uh, uh, intelligence. That's still quite a, quite a ways off.
1: So, what kind of, what's the most interesting problem you have solved so far at Valkyrie?
2: Um, it's, a, it's a tough question. We've been pretty fortunate to have some really interesting problems. Um, I would say the, the two that come to mind, uh, we helped a bank identify um, risk in a market that wasn't super saturated with digital signatures. In other words, they had access to a huge collection of our country's population. And these individuals didn't necessarily have a big digital footprint at all. They didn't have um, super robust FICO scores and uh, 10,000 applications for different types of credit. Um, so what we did is we actually created a model that predicted the relative risk of uh, an individual based off of features like how long their commute was um, where they were where their family was located uh, how much time they spent uh, browsing on the the uh, digital applications um, Was that
1: also the one that you matched the car the preference for the car to the be- uh, there's a
2: different, it's a different project um, from a from a former uh, project that I, I led but it was before Valkyrie's time but that was an actually fascinating problem also where we identified um, the best way to bridge two different business domains by essentially identifying common aspirational experience. So we we worked with a company that had a big banking side and a big insurance side. Um, They knew a lot about their banking customers, but not a lot about their insurance customers. So what we did is we created a recommendation engine that would bridge the two through a fun app. Um, So it turns out that people who choose the same car are likely to have a lot of um, shared preferences. Uh, interesting problem before Valkyrie, but a very, very interesting problem, and and partially formative for what we would eventually start focusing our attention on
1: and and, and launching Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. And so, what um, what sets Valkyrie apart from other companies working in
2: this space? Sure, um, a couple of things set us apart right off the bat. Uh, we are science led first and foremost. Uh, every one of our scientists uh, is. Um, either a graduate, uh, graduate school level scientist or on route to become a graduate school scientist. Uh, we're led by a collection of principal scientists who are world-renowned for their fields. Um, and all of those scientists still have to have as much time as possible hands-on project. So I'm actually billable 50% of my time, um, which uh, from an MBA standpoint is not the best approach, right? The player-coach model often has issues. But for a brand new fledgling discipline like AI, like our applied science, it's extremely imperative that we have a, a close tie to the work. So I'm, I'm developing neural networks. I'm developing machine learning algorithms for clients, even though um, even though as CEO, I, sh- I should have you know, spent all my time on fewer things. Um, so that's the first differentiator. Second differentiator is that we refuse to take on any funding at all. Um, So Valkyrie Intelligence, the consulting company, is 100% uh, bootstrapped. Um, We made a commitment early on that if the market didn't see value in what we were doing, then why would an investor? Mm -hmm. And so we committed to that. uh, And now we are very profitable, completely debt-free. And we've built a great portfolio of clients who come back for program after program. A lot of recurring work, which is really um, very rare in our industry. Uh, And I think that's that's somewhat driven by our capability, I think it's predominantly driven by our integrity. So we have no problem going to our teams or to our clients and saying, you know what, this isn't quite working, we need to make this adjustment or we need to increase this capability. Um, and that kind of brings up, you know, my other favorite case study, because um, I promised two, I got, <laughs> got too far down the path of one. Um, the other one's with a telecommunications client that we've been recently working with. And that pro- that's that been a really aggressive, cutting-edge R&D project where we're basically learning as much as we can about a country's population based off of communication patterns. Extremely fascinating, very difficult from a scientific perspective, and the execution of that has been fraught with one challenge after another.
0: Imagine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the client's been really understanding of that and it's and but I think largely that's driven by the fact that we are deliverers. We don't we don't just talk, we do the walk. And sometimes being R&D that's that can be challenging, but the client's you know extremely happy with where where the projects ended up we have additional opportunities with them
1: so I think it's um, interesting because what I, I mentor a lot of startups, one, so I want to get your perspective in a minute on what you would tell future founders or CEOs, but two, you know, where you end up, what I often say about a startup is where you start is not where you end up. I imagine a similar case in the R&D process. You think that you know, a scientist is where it's going to go, but how often does a project turn out differently than you anticipated it mm-hmm. at the beginning of doing whatever assessment or data analysis?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it happens I think it happens more than we projected, but less, but less than you probably guess. So we do have to have programs that pivot, and make adjustments. But um, that communication is super transparent and open with the client. Uh, and we, even though we're we're deliverables based, um, we've we've always been in a position where, when the client needs to have an adjustment made, we've been able to articulate and execute against that that adjustment without really. Much headache at all,
1: and I imagine to engage you, you have to be willing to accept what the answer may be, even though it may not be what you expected. Not you, but yeah. the customer that is hiring you.
2: Well, so absolutely. So <laughs> um, one of the so every morning we wake up and we go through this routine on the team. We say, "Is what we're doing worth what the client's paying for it?" And if the question is no, then we basically call it an all stop, and we identify how we make that adjustment. And that, that happens, you know, from time to time. You know, we, we, we realize, you know what, we're getting kind of far down this path. I don't think it's going to have the impact on ROI the client's expecting. But even when we nullify a hypothesis, when the client says, "We hey, we think that there's going to be a big difference to be made by identifying this type of feature for a customer, for their customers. Even knowing that that's not a valuable feature, we make sure that there is a component that's valuable that comes back to the client. In other words, you're totally right. Our hypotheses are nullified and validated um, all the time in every di- different direction. Um, but we, we make sure that we wrap that around the impact for the client's ROI. And that has been extremely effective. Sure. Which
1: feeds back to the integrity uh, comment and the fact that customers keep coming back to you. So they absolutely like what you're delivering, even though mm-hmm. it may be surprised in the end what they actually get.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's actually <laughs> been fascinating. We've had... Uh, Something around 20 different clients by this point in the last year and a half. And almost all, the genesis of almost all of them is just a couple of relationships. Lots of lots of referrals, lots of fall on work, lots of people recommending us to their friends in the in different industries. It's crazy.
1: Sure. Well, I can absolutely see a need for it. And so um, to that point, in regards to you mentioned as a founder, you'd go half your time, but you also decided not to take funding. And I think that kind of goes to the lean business model startup or startup business model, right? Where you can either go after funding and validate your market with investors, or you can validate your market with customers. Mm-hmm. And you in fact did that by going and finding customers and decided not ever to take any funding. Mm -hmm. And then you're also doing A-Labs, which spins out companies that you're identifying. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, so this is where So um, a question I get a lot of uh, from the startup community is how do you guys guys pivot? Because certain things certainly change. Mm -hmm. I actually think Valkyrie Intelligence, which is the main business, um, and it's the core consulting service, it actually really hasn't deviated that much from its initial intent. When we've had the opportunity to pivot, um, what we've done is we've actually spun up a second company or a third company or a fourth company. So we have uh, four different companies that are all working together right now, um, and each of those were kind of derivative of an opportunity to pivot. But we see intelligence uh, as the lifeblood, uh, the central beating heart of the Valkyrie group. now, Labs, our product development group, that has, uh, we do have a great joint venture with Build Group in town um, for all that development. So, that's uh, basically the role of that organization is to take our IP and inculcate it in a, in a lab environment until we identify whether it's ready for market. Um, and that was really derivative of the fact that we didn't believe we were product people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. we hired real product people to do real product things, and Build Group is bringing on... a great mentorship and strategy on that front as well as um, as funding of course, for the labs group. Um, but uh, very big very big announcements to come soon from that group. Very so cool stuff. expect
1: a couple of different entities to be spun out through the lab group per
2: year. That's right. And the through first solving one's in problems. That's exactly right. The first one's the Mark one, which is our deep learning server. Um, we built that early on to differentiate us as real scientists doing real work. So a a box built by scientists for scientists, and that's turned out to be this explosive opportunity. Um, It's great we're talking this week and not two weeks ago, because this week I'm super happy to share that um, the Wolfram Alpha platform is going to use the Mark 1 as its on-premise solution. Wow, congrats. Thank you. We're very excited about that. So we'll be going out to the Wolfram Conference uh, in mid-October to talk more about that release. But Gosh, the thing's beautiful. It comes in as candy apple red. It's going to be uh, very exciting.
1: That sounds uh, like a wonderful partnership. And so you actually sell the Mark One to other companies to be able to do deep learning, AI solutions, that sort of thing, with your consulting services, or is it an independent box?
2: It's totally be- independent. If they like, if they need the consulting services, we're happy to jump on. Um, we, we developed it as a way of, we, a lot of our clients don't want to put their data on prem, or sorry, in the cloud. They don't want to have their machine learning algorithms owned by Google and by Microsoft and Amazon.
1: Not fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: And so we said, okay, well, why don't we create a solution? Why don't we get this localized? Um, I was always frustrated at previous, in previous roles to not have the budget to have hardware for myself. Drug myself into a scientist in my last job, extremely crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, for almost eight years, I've known that there's been opportunity for optimized hardware for this kind of scientific work, and it's not really availed itself in my career
1: well nice that sounds and let say so how does one engage with Valkyrie but it sounds like there's a couple of areas one if you're a company needing um, to use deep learning or uh, implement deep learning you actually have a hardware solution but then also if you need consulting services Mm -hmm. or experts in that area they can engage with Valkyrie directly absolutely Yeah. So, and um, can you tell us what other projects you might have on the horizon, or uh, <laughs> top secret
2: uh, labs? I'll I'll just uh, I'll give a couple of teasers. Labs is going to is as a new project that's going to really transform the way we think about organizations within a company. It's the way people communicate with one another. Um, it's a really exciting um, call it a snow globe into a into an organization. Um, So that's coming together. We also have some really cool things in tracking people's movements within an ecosystem to understand more about how they interact with one another. Um, That's that's coming along. Um, And then we have some really cool things in the space of optical spectrometry, um, which I can't get too far into, but suffice it to say, uh, we're uh, exploring a lot of really cool biological implications for that technology.
1: Sounds fascinating. I'm sure you wake up every day just excited to get to it. go to work. Yeah, I
2: super love my job.
1: And and what advice do you have for CEOs who think that AI is just hype? You've named quite a few solutions that, you're, that mm-hmm. you yourself are bringing to market. And I know other CEOs want to implement this. What kind of advice would you give them?
2: Uh, sure. I think that CEOs right now are getting two different pitches um, in AI. It drives me frankly, pretty crazy. Got a lot of charlatans and carpetbaggers and snake oil salesmen who are walking around talking about AI. But if I put myself in the shoes of a CEO or CFO right now of a major corporation and I get the pitch, AI is the future. AI is going to transform everything. The whole world, you know it. AI has got all these lofty promises, right? I think i would actually be pretty turned off by that. Uh, So we don't actually, frankly, we don't actually talk about AI much. In fact, we brought on a branding and marketing team to support us. Um, really excited about this new relationship, and and, um, and what we've totally done is ripped out AI everywhere. So it's
1: applied, it's applied yeah, science.
2: It's applied science, and so that the, that's the first pitch. The second pitch is, I've I have a group of mathematicians and physicists, and we've looked at problems like yours, and this is the results. These are the results we had. We're not going to be prescriptive about methods. We're not going to be prescriptive about neural networks versus machine learning versus regular algorithm development, but let's focus on the ROI that's important to you, and let's see how we can make incremental changes to that.
1: And solve the actual business problem at hand versus using a bunch of buzzwords. Exactly. So you yourself are staying away from those buzzwords and actually looking at the science. Exactly. Applying it, hence applied science.
2: That 99 out of 100 times we'll win that pitch. In fact, we've got several examples where we've gone up against people using that type of vernacular. Yes, I've actually heard your
1: presentation on it. My question probably should have been applied science, but you led right into the segue, which is AI is more of a hype uh, at some level with uh, some meat and potatoes behind it with the right company and the right partnership. And Dockery absolutely can offer that. In regards to applied science, so you talked um, a little bit about products and services, or we talked a little bit. Is that what's the easiest way to engage with Valkyrie on a on a project? And what size projects do you like to work on? Or sure, your sweet spot.
2: Um, frankly, we are very we are very open to many different types of engagements. Our primary verticals are financial services, automotive, energy, oil and gas, um, uh, retail, uh, healthcare. And now more and more government work. Um, but of all of those groups, it doesn't mean we still don't do some work in lifestyle and, and telecommunications, different sub subgroups. Uh, I, I would say that the easiest way to engage with us is we've actually created a small, several-week program where we basically look at the entirety of your infrastructure. We identify the, the right way for you guys to move forward, you guys as clients. Um, and we don't enter with any biases or... or um, uh, conditions or qualifiers. We look at the system extremely objectively, um, and it's not a two or three day workshop. And you can't really extract a lot of understanding from that, and it's not an eight week engagement that takes too long to identify value. Uh, we think we've identified the right sweet spot, and this is a model I've been using for a long time, actually before even Valkyrie days. Um, so, so that approach uh, puts clients in the position where they've they they become extremely knowledgeable on the subject. They understand our approaches and our methodology, and we've helped to work with them to empirically prioritize their objectives. And sometimes we use deep learning. It's pretty rare, but sometimes we do. Um, sometimes we develop simple algorithms. Sometimes it's a matter of the right kind of visualization for them to get the incremental improvement that they're looking for. And so that is
1: a an X-long week program, and after that is a... Strategy that's delivered, or is there a service? Is there data that suggest sure. they move to another phase? How does that
2: work? It's usually yes. Yeah, so it's usually a three to four week engagement, and at the conclusion of that, we either have we have next steps for them, which includes like an intelligence roadmap or a, the next steps for a science discipline, um, and sometimes that includes us, and sometimes it doesn't. We're actually really clear with them. We say, "You guys have the right team on, on board. We'll move forward with these." objectives, and then call us back to the conclusion of these objectives. You know, having a lot of data doesn't necessarily mean you have all the right data. Right. And sometimes so helping... Or
1: the- utilizing it in the right ways.
2: Precisely. And so sometimes the best thing solution for the client is to work on their own independently to get to the, that right point that we were targeting and then come back and then we can do an engagement make sense for them.
1: So it's important for the CEO to have a business problem they want to solve and say, come to you and say that, or uh, you just, uh, a CEO that has a tremendous amount of data and doesn't know how to extract it to determine how to best use that data or all of the above.
2: It's kind of all the above. So we deal with clients who have a high fidelity understanding of their data. They want to optimize it for one new purpose. We have clients who have no data. We have clients who have the wrong data. And all of those are fun and engaging in their own way. Um, And we've we've serviced all, all those types of problems. I would say the, the litmus test for whether or not you, you could have, do um, you be a good partner for Valkyrie, is whether or not you find yourself, um, you, you almost have a spidey sense that there are ways to optimize your process and you just haven't figured out the right way to do that yet. Your way, there are ways to make your product better and more engaging. You feel like the market's not necessarily reacting to your products or services the way that you expect them to or
1: want them to Mm -hmm. we all want growth we all want to drive revenue so it seems to me that this would be sort of a no-brainer at some level to come in and see where they where you can be optimized and where you can drive additional value for your company that's absolutely right and either for your own shareholders or for internal or external customers
2: we also operate for both with both OpEx and capex that's a new thing for me in my career right but the previous design firm when i was at frog i loved frog like to death. It was one of the greatest jobs I've ever. It's probably the greatest job after Valkyrie that I ever had, um, but we had a really hard time making a um, making an argument for operational expenses. Right, it's really hard to cut down on your bottom or to to improve your bottom line um, with a design program. Valkyrie doesn't really suffer from that. In fact, we kind of have the opposite condition, where we're selling a lot to CFOs. Right? Mm-hmm. CFOs traditionally are like the hardest people to sell to in the services. Right. 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 They want to uh, see ROI. Hard ROI. Exactly. And we keep delivering that and they keep coming back for additional programs. Um, so we find programs in CapEx and the OpEx side just as stimulating. It's just a matter of what are the most pressing needs for the client. We want to press the boundaries of what they're capable of in the future. or We want to optimize what they've done in the past.
1: Uh, use applied science to do that. Mm-hmm. Revenue. So... Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit here, what are some of the top books that you'd recommend someone to read who's interested in applied science or learning a bit more about it?
2: Sure. Uh, from the scientific perspective, there are a number of books on discrete math and graph theory um, that are extremely helpful. So for, um, Valkyrie is, is really a, a specialized firm in graph theory. We use it for a lot of different problems. Um and I can I can share a list of resources um, with you guys for my favorite texts in that field. Uh, discrete Please math to be in the podcast notes, we will provide that. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, there there are books on discrete math. Um, so if you if you have a minor in math or above, um, really great books that can help with that kind of understanding. Um, on the business side, if you want to learn more about how we think about problems, there are kind of uh, there are three different books that I would recommend. Um, the first is called On Intelligence, uh, which is a, a book that a uh, previous, um, previous uh, boss of mine recommended. And I actually really I think it's a fantastic survey of how we understand knowledge and the structure of knowledge, um, how we share information between one another, how our models are able to interact with one another. Um, that's a great book. Uh, I also really, really like a book called um, Godel Escherbach bach uh, or... Uh, The Eternal Golden Braid. Again, that was a suggestion from a former mentor. And that book is all about the nature of patterns and how they express themselves in different mediums. So it, it, char- it charters the life of M.C. Escher, the painter, uh, the artist, um, Godel, the mathematician, and Bach, the musician, and talks about the way that those three different individuals express patterns in a beautiful way. Interesting. Yeah. It's all in the subject of ontologies or, or knowledge engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the, uh, the other books that I also strongly suggest to our clients, even though it's not scientific Super scientifically tied, but a lot of the works by uh, uh, Taleb uh, are extremely good. <laughs> so, um, anti-fragile is a major component of our um, our, our core value. Anti-fragility is a major component of our core values at. At Valkyrie, actually, also a mentor suggested that book. Um, but it's all about understanding the stochastic or chaotic nature of a system and optimizing for it—not just surviving it, but actually gaining from it. Um, we help our clients execute anti-fragile patterns all the time. Very, very exciting stuff.
1: Sounds very interesting. So. Um, one last comment in regards to applied science. Uh, are, do you see any regulations impacting your field over the next you know, two to three years that you see coming out, or mm-hmm. how do you see that impacting what's going on?
2: Yeah, so GDPR was huge for us, um, getting prepared for that. We have a lot of opportunity and a lot of business in Germany, uh, and so making, um, mm-hmm. making the appropriate, uh, st- taking the appropriate steps for that was a, a big component of our summer Um, But I actually think that there are very serious implications in the U.S. market to come shortly. Uh, The capabilities of a data scientist are growing pretty aggressively. It's also, at the same time, it's becoming a more and more uh, exclusive field. So we're going to see fewer and fewer people calling themselves data scientists and more and more of a premium on those who are still doing data science. Especially
1: since there's, what, 40 zettabytes of data expected by 2020? Yeah. I mean, I don't even think I can comprehend how much that is.
2: It's, so this number is growing at about 43% a year. So when I, I started talking about zettabytes conferences several years ago, and it was at you know four zettabytes, at the time, and I'll, I'll, I'll misremember this, but if you were to take every byte and write it on the old IBM cards that used, used to store data, to get to four zettabytes is something like stacking it all the way to Alpha Centauri and back like three times, like the closest star, that's how much data is represented, right, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, but that with that much data, and and frankly, the capabilities of sci- applied science in this domain getting more and more uh, uh, selective, um, we're going to start, uh, we're going to start democratizing less the capability, and the inferences we're going to be able to make are far, have much bigger implications. I'll give you an example because I'm speaking kind of cryptically. Um, Right now, Fitbit doesn't necessarily have to be, I, mean, I think it may, but it doesn't necessarily under regulation, but you have to be covered by HIPAA, right? Counting the number of steps you have doesn't necessarily have to be regulated by HIPAA. But our models that we're training are getting so fine-tuned that I might be able to identify a subtle difference in a walking pattern between somebody who's pre-diabetic and somebody who's not. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly whether or not that kind of condition is something that should be guarded by HIPAA mm-hmm. compliance, um, but how do, where do we draw the line? Do we have to think about every first order or second order inference about a data set in order to, to d- determine what type of regulations need to be used? We get into an extremely gray area, mm-hmm. right? So I think some of the more generic solutions to data security are going to be adopted. It's one of the reasons we've partnered with Craxel, a blockchain um, database specializing a specialist group. Um, they're doing some really cool work and our and our general approach is instead of trying to put all the individual locks on the door, why don't we just get a steel door and right. see <laughs> it's you know, much better. yeah, see if we can just save ourselves some energy. Um, there's some challenges with that approach, and we still have some idiosyncrasies we have to account for. Um, but in general, I think that the 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 amount of attention to not just what the data describes, but what the data implies is going to become a <laughs> A, a litigious and legally tumultuous mm-hmm. <laughs> subject for us.
1: going to be interesting to see what the outcome is and um, the different sides of, of the coin in that regard, right? Mm-hmm. How it's going to impact the overall, all of our data, and as you said, what's inferred by it, especially as it yeah. continues to
2: grow. Frank, frankly, it's an exciting time for us because we have a super cool on-premise solution for <laughs> for, for complex data structures in the Mark I. Um, in fact, uh, of our... Um, of our clients I think that have implemented implemented a Mark 1 all of them are using it partially because they want to keep data and store data in their own way keep it private keep it extremely private yeah
1: I think personally um, that's the next uh, gold right that's the next Bitcoin if you will or blockchain is our personal data and Mm -hmm. someone creating exchange on how to either protect that or have our own choice in selling it. So it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds in regards to data in general and then how Applied Sciences use, uses that data to solve some of the complex problems. Is there mm-hmm. anything in closing you'd like to add to for our listeners?
2: Um, well, I'll champion one thing that um, we're really excited about. Uh, you know, we've, We set out to build the best team possible. Um, we didn't have a particular agenda and we ended up having, um, half our leadership led by women. Our whole strategy team right now is, is led by women. Um, a whole BD team is led by women. Um, and this is a, you know, I, I, am um, uh, I'm really proud of that. I think it's incredible that we've, we've done such a good job of, uh, maintaining a really great balance and great representation, uh, on our team. And, um, you know, I, I think the way, so, so, in my experience working with, with scientists in the in uh, women scientists in our field, um, they they generally bring peripheral domain expertise that's extremely valuable to clients. Um, so I, I probably could have forecasted that our dynamic would be you know at, at least balanced, if not leaning more towards the, the female side, because um, your typical master's student in physics uh, males typically just hyper focus on physics and mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, the physicists that I know, the women physicists that I know, actually have really interesting, very liberal arts exposure. Mm-hmm. And that exposure is actually ultra-crucial for delivering a successful program. Um, so we champion that. We have a scholarship for women in STEM that we funded with uh, uh, our prize money from the Mercedes-Benz AI Challenge, which we won in March. Um, and wow, well, congratulations. And from a woman in tech, thank you for supporting women <laughs> in tech and seeing the value we bring. Absolutely. It's it's a no-brainer for us, for sure. So That's
1: Good. Well, we expect to see wonderful, continued wonderful things um, out of Valkyrie. And I certainly appreciate you joining us today. I know your time is valuable. And thanks for sharing a little bit of your knowledge today with us.
0: My pleasure, Sloan. Thanks for having us. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by Calavista Software. We write cost-effective quality code for other people, delivering on time and on budget over 90% of the time. That's all we do, and we've been doing it for over 15 years. If you have software needs, we'd love to talk with you. Be sure to follow us at, at Calavista on Twitter, or check out our website at calavista.com. That's C-A-L-A-Vista.com. Software Development Without the Drama.
2: Thank you for listening.